Well, happy Easter to you, friends. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us on this Easter morning. We hope that this day is full of joy and gladness as we reflect on what the season represents and what the season means. Uh, we sang about it thus far, but now I'd just like to take just a few moments of, of our morning here today to talk about uh, the significance and, and, and the, the meaning behind this particular day, the resurrection of Jesus. And, and again, what that means for you and for me here this morning. Now, uh, for those of you who are with us at the State Theater this past Friday, we had a, a Good Friday gathering, Good Friday service, where we remembered the final words of Jesus as he hung upon the cross. Uh, we looked at these final seven sayings of Jesus, and, and we pondered upon uh, those final words in his final breath. And today, we're going to carry on the story into the next scene, post-crucifixion, because as many of you know, the story does not end on Good Friday. The story continues on, and now we gather, where we gathered around the cross, now we gather around the empty tomb. And that's where we pick up the story here this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open that up. Or if you have a smartphone, you can go ahead and open up your Bible app to the Gospel of Luke. And uh, we're going to be looking at chapter 24 here today. Uh, we're going to be reading Luke's accounts of that first Easter morning. And we find that story in Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 1. And uh, today's scripture passage will be read by Eli. And so as Eli is coming up, go ahead and find your place in Luke chapter 24. We're going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. And we'll also have the text up here on the screen if you want to look along with us that way. But Luke 24, starting in verse 1 through verse 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And they were frightened, and they bowed their faces to the ground. The men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of, of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men to be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene jo and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and, when they, did, and they did not believe him. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had just happened. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eli. Folks, if you've been with us here at ACF for the last several weeks, you know that we've been working through a series called Canceled, uh, where we're looking at some of the hard sayings of Jesus. And the reason we're calling this series Canceled, if you've been with us, you know this, is because if you look closely at the teachings of Christ... And you look at the red letters in your Bible, you'll often find Jesus saying things that were controversial, that were heated, or scandalous, and, and sometimes outright offensive. And I said it this way a few weeks back, if Jesus were on Twitter today, if Jesus had a podcast, a TikTok, if he had a YouTube channel, he would be canceled without giving him a second thought. Because when you look at half of the things, even just a fraction of the things that he said that we have in our Bibles today, you would think how he, he wouldn't be able to get away with these things. He wouldn't be able to get away with saying things like this today. And unfortunately, if you're a follower of Jesus, I've got news for you. He has not given us the option 
to only take the easy words and the easy sayings of Jesus and reject the hard ones. He demands that we actually consider them all of what he said. And so that, that's, that's what we've been doing throughout the course of this series. We've been considering all of what Jesus said, including the hard sayings of Jesus and the things that he would have liked, that would have likely gotten him canceled. But this morning, as we ponder this theme of canceled, I want us to consider this. Are there things in life that perhaps should be canceled? Some of you are like, this sounds like a trick question. I don't know if I should answer this. It's like, you know, like, and, and don't worry. No, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get political here. I'm not going to, like, you know, push any hot buttons or anything like that. But, but just for a moment, I want us to consider this. Are there things in life that perhaps should be canceled? Can I give you an example? An example that comes to mind of something that perhaps should be canceled is a gym membership that's never been used. Right? Ever been there? Right? Like, you, you, you know, I, I remember a couple of years back, I, I was part of a, a gym that I had joined, and I, I joined with high hopes, with great expectation and anticipation. Man, I'm going to get in shape, in the best shape of my life. The spirit was willing. Oh, but the flesh was weak. You know, like I, I had that membership for like maybe a couple of weeks and maybe a month or two. And then that gym membership turned into a gym sponsorship. I was just giving my money away. I said, like, take my money every month. It gets, you know, taken out of my, uh, my checking account. And then I got to a point where I said, you know what? This is just dumb. I, I think it's about time that I cancel my membership. Or how about this one? Have you ever signed on for a subscription-based service maybe for a trial period, but then you forgot about it, and then you start getting charged, you start seeing it, it's like, hang on, what is, what's happening? You're like, oh, yeah, I forgot to cancel that membership. You know, this has happened to us a number of times. Uh, so, so when my wife and I signed on for our three-month free trial of Apple TV, because, you know, we wanted to watch Ted Lasso and the morning show and all these shows, and we said, you know what, we put a memo in our calendar at about the two-month and 29th day marker, said cancel Apple TV because we don't want to get charged unnecessarily. We, we, we need to cancel this subscription. Maybe, maybe for you, you're sitting here today, you're like, you know, I'm not, I'm not as forgetful as you are, Dan, so this doesn't really, really you know, apply to me. But, but I know something that every single one of us in this room can relate to. Three blessed words to your ears. Class is canceled. Amen, hallelujah, right? Like class is canceled. Or, or how about this one? Your student loans are canceled, right? Like, oh, pray. now we're having church people, right? Like this is like, praise the Lord from whom all blessings flow. I receive that blessing. Let it come. So your student loans are canceled. Now, friends, I, I, I pray that that would be the case and somehow you would receive that miracle, you know, it, along with the miracle of the resurrection. But, but here's, here's my point. Wouldn't you agree that Life would be much better if certain things were to be canceled. Well, friends, I'm here to tell you that God, out of his sovereign grace and mercy, chose to look upon the tomb where Jesus was laid just three days ago. And he decided that death should be canceled. And, and on that first Easter morning, God declared not only over the tomb of his son, but over all creation, over you and me. Here today, he declared definitively once and for all, death is canceled. Can someone say amen this morning? Death is canceled, period. Now, this is huge. 
This is enormous. I mean, this, you got to understand, this was a big deal back then when it happened, right? Like, you, you know, big, come on, let's face it. When, when, when someone dies and they come back from the dead, that's generally a big deal. You know, that, that's news, newsworthy, right? Like, and so even in the story today, you find that, that the women and the disciples marveled at the empty tomb. There was a sense of awe and wonder. It was huge. It was amazing. But it wasn't just a big deal on that first Easter morning. It's a big deal today. For you and for me, I, we were praying earlier as, as we were uh, spending some time in worship. We said, Lord, uh, you know, th- help us to see that this, the resurrection matters to me, right? It's not, just this, it's not just the place marker on our calendars where we, you know, we gather together with our family and, and have ham and whatever you have on Easter, you know, like, I don't, you know, it's, it's not just that, but the resurrection of Jesus actually means something to me, to you, and, and, and that's what we're beginning to see, and that's what I'd like to just spend a few moments of our time this morning unpacking, but the question is why? Like, why, does the resur- why is the resurrection such a big deal? Why should the resurrection matter to me? Why does it matter that death is indeed canceled. Well, because if death is canceled, that means a couple of things for us. The first is this. If death is canceled, that means Jesus is who he says he is. If death is actually canceled, that means that Jesus is indeed who he says he is. You know, throughout the series, we've been looking at some of the outlandish things that Jesus said during his earthly ministry. And some of those things were claims about himself. And this is, this is ultimately what got him nailed to the cross. You know, like, he, he says some crazy things like, you know, like, um, you know, in order to follow me, you've got to hate your mother, father, brother, sister, like, you know, like all of that. And, 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 and we looked at, like, Jesus Last week, he said, he said, I have not come to bring peace, but the sword, right? Like, and, and Phil Savage, our faculty advisor, did a wonderful job. Uh, it's funny, like, he just, he went full academic, right? Like, and I love it. I love it. You know, like, I caught the playback. I wasn't here. I was in North Carolina for a wedding, but I caught the playback afterwards. But we spent some time looking at, like, Jesus, what do you mean you came to bring the sword and not peace? In addition to all of those Things that Jesus said, those outlandish things, the thing that actually got him nailed to the cross were some of the claims that he made about himself. Listen to some of the things that he said. He said things like, I am the son of God. That's who I am. You want to know who I am? I'm the son of God. God, the God that you worship, he's my father. I am the giver of eternal life. You want life Eternally, that comes through me. I'm the one who forgives sins. I'm the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. I have come from the Father, but not only that, the Father and I are actually one. Like this was, this was, this was outrageous for a Jewish audience to, to, to hear someone say that this guy and Yahweh This God that is so holy that we don't even have a word for it. We don't even have a name for it. That that word Yahweh is just a a, 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 a sort of a a translation of the word that God, that that the Israelites used for God. They didn't even have a word. It was actually Yudhevahe. That's where we get the word Yahweh from that Hebrew language. It was 
so holy that you could only utter it through momentary breaths. You hey, vahe. And this God that is so holy, this man comes on the scene and is like, that God that you worship, he and I, we're actually one. We're the same. Right? I come from the Father, and the Father and I are one. I am the Savior of the world, the redemption for all mankind. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one enters into the kingdom of God apart from me. In fact, you can do nothing on your own accord, but with me, all things are possible. Now look, if you were to hear someone say that today, if you were to hear someone get up on this platform and utter these kinds of claims, what might you think about that person? I mean, is it any surprise that the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders took this guy, beat him, and then ultimately crucified him? I mean, it, it, these outlandish claims, because these, these are not, you need to understand, these are not small, insignificant claims. These are big, bold, audacious claims. In fact, I appreciate how C.S. Lewis put it in his book, Mere Christianity. Listen to what he says. He says this, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, him being Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher, he would either be a, a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, <laughs> I love that, or else he would be the devil of hell. He, he's basically implying that uh, had Jesus claimed this, he, he, would, he would be a complete liar, a deceiver at his core, trying to deceive all of the world. And he goes on, C.S. Lewis says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. See, the resurrection, friends, is the very thing that authenticates all of these outlandish claims that Jesus made. Because it would be one thing for Jesus to say some of these wild things, Right? I'm the son of God, I, I, he, the father and I are one. It would have been one thing for Jesus to say all of these wild things and then just die off. Then we can conclude, we'd be like, okay, that, that was weird. Don't know what that was about, but now that's behind us. And now we can move on, right? Like, and, and we could just kind of disregard it and, and, and move on with our lives. But, but here, you want to, of all the crazy things that Jesus claimed, right? We just looked at some of them that ultimately got him nailed to the cross. You want to hear one of the craziest, Jesus said that his body would be destroyed, he would be put to death, and then in three days, he would rise again. Now, I know for those of us who grew up in the church, we're like, yeah, that's the story, Dan. That's the Easter story. But imagine hearing that for the first time. Imagine, put yourself in that first 
ancient world where Jesus comes onto the scene. He says all of these things. I'm the son of God. I am this and that and this and that. And, and we could kind of just, just chalk that up to be like, okay, that's crazy. You must think really high, highly of yourself. Okay, but, you know, but, but like we can just kind of dismiss that. But to claim something like this, like an, an event, an undeniable event, like it's not like self-delusion. It's, it's like he's, he's prophesying something that will happen. He says, my body will be destroyed, I will be put to death, and then in three days, I'm going to rise again. Just watch. And the disciples, you know, like the disciples were walking with him all these years. And you remember in today's passage, they're like, yeah, we, we still don't believe it. We, we, we saw him die just a few days ago. They believed it to be an idle tale. They said, no, this can't be, this can't be it. But would you know, Jesus was right. He was right about that. And if he was right about that, then could it be that he was right about everything else? Is it possible that he is indeed the Son of God? Is it possible that, that he is indeed the Savior of the world, the one who provides eternal life and hope and forgiveness of all of our sins? Could it be that Jesus was actually telling the truth about everything he said about himself? I remember hearing one pastor long ago say it this way, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and pull it off, I just go with whatever that man says. It's like, I don't care. I don't even know. I don't even need to know your background or your resume. If you can predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, I'm with you. You don't need to convince me, right? See, if death is canceled, that means Jesus really is who he says he is. And, and, and here's, here's the second piece to this. If death is canceled, that means our faith is real. Our faith is real. Uh, you know, one of the dominant perspectives on faith in general today, and not just the Christian faith, but any faith in general, is, that, is this idea that faith is weak and feeble. It stands against reason and logic. Therefore, it doesn't stand very well on its own. Right? Like, that, that's the common understanding. Some have called religion and faith the great opiate of the masses. Maybe you've heard of that term before. Faith in God is like, you know, a crutch for the fool. Maybe that's another term that you've heard when it comes to uh, this notion of faith being this weak and, and, and fragile thing. And, and why, why does that assumption exist? It, it exists because there's this assumption that, that, that faith is actually rooted in make-believe. Right? It's like faith is like, it's like fantasy. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, some claim that the Christian faith is not worth anyone's time because it's a blind kind of faith. How many of you heard that, right? Blind faith. It's like, it's like take a blind leap of faith. And so, you know, when, when we hear things like that, we think, well, there's nothing real on the other side of that leap. There's nothing real and tangible and, and nothing concrete on the other side of that jump. You know, you just sort of will yourself to believe in this urban legend about this guy who supposedly died for the world's sins, whatever that means, and then was raised to life. Again, science proves that that can't happen. That doesn't happen. When have you ever been in a room... You know, you, you, like, you, you, I, I've been to, uh, you know, a good handful of funerals in my lifetime, you know, like, and, and I always think in the back of my mind, how crazy would it be 
And the guy just kind of got up from his casket, right? Like, I mean, like, that, just, that doesn't happen. I mean, I, you know, again, I, I've done funerals, and I've had that thought. I'm like, Dan, focus, focus. You know, he's not, you know, like, you know, minister to the family. But in my mind, I'm like, how crazy. It would be crazy because that kind of stuff doesn't happen. Science proves that that kind of stuff doesn't happen. And so Christianity, consequently, as a result, must be nothing more than a fairy tale. Right? I mean, isn't that what the Christian faith is? It's just a bunch of make-believe stuff. Well, if that were the case, we would be living in the greatest hoax of all time. (laughs) We would be living under the greatest conspiracy theory of all time. We would be a people most pitied, most duped, most misled, fools of all of human history. In fact, the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. In other words, yeah, your faith might as well be make-believe. If there was no resurrection, all of this, the faith that we stand on, would be a big grand fairy tale. And you are still in your sins. And those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He goes on in verse 20, he says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. See, friends, you need to know that our faith is not rooted in a make-believe story. The basis of the Christian faith is not grounded on a fairy tale in a land far, far away kind of story. Our faith is rooted and grounded in a historical and factual event that actually took place. This wasn't a story that someone made up. You know, like, they, they didn't get in their huts together and just make up this story. This wasn't a myth that was handed down from generation to generation. This was an actual event that took place that shaped the rest of humanity forever. And how do we know that? Well, if you look back at the events that transpired soon after that first Easter morning, Soon after, the disciples stood in in awe as Peter stooped down and looked into the empty tomb and he marveled and he stood in awe. Uh, the, the, The events that transpired after that first Easter morning, you begin to see that the proof is in the pudding. For one, there were multiple accounts of eyewitnesses that saw Jesus with their own eyes. Post resurrection. Right, and, and, you know, eyewitnesses that, that, that saw Jesus, and look, it would have been easy to refute one or two people who said, yeah, you know what, I, I think that was Jesus. You know, I was, I was walking down the street, I was, I was getting ready to get my morning cup of coffee, and I swear, I, I think that was him. I saw Jesus, right? Like, I'm pretty sure that was, and it would have been easy to refute one or two testimonies. It's like, are you sure you didn't have your coffee yet. Are you sure you were seeing things right? Like, are you sure you were fully awake? It would have been easy to refute that, right? And it would have been easy to dismiss a couple of eyewitnesses, but we're not, we're not talking about a couple of eyewitnesses. We're not even talking about a small church congregation size group. We're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who claim they saw Jesus without equivocation, they saw Jesus with their own eyes. Over 500 people were recorded as having seen Jesus, the risen Savior. 
how do you, how do you argue that? How do you argue that, that over 500 people, were they all 500 people seeing a delusion? Were they all have fallen into a trance? No, that, that, that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And, and as if that weren't enough, remember the disciples, right? His, his trusted friends, his trusted followers, where were they just three days ago? They all fled. They all ran away. When Jesus was crucified, the disciples all scattered. And where did they go? They ran off into hiding. Because they thought if the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders would do this to our master, what did they think was going to happen to them? And so they run in fear, and in fear of their lives, But then you follow their journey as the story progresses throughout the New Testament. And all of a sudden, you see a major shift take place in each of these disciples. All of a sudden, they go from from hiding in fear to being martyred for their faith. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, right? The disciples were very much canceled in their own regard. They all go, you know, and, and the question that has to run through your mind is, what caused this shift? What caused this to, to these disciples to go from hiding in fear to standing up for their faith as they face their death sentence? What caused that shift? They encountered the resurrected Christ. They encountered the resurrection, and all of a sudden, everything that Jesus taught them became real to them. In that moment, in encountering the living Christ, their faith became real. It wasn't a fairy tale. It wasn't a myth. It was no longer an idle tale, but this was the real deal. And it wasn't just the transformation of the early disciples that was remarkable. Remember Paul, formerly known as Saul, right? Saul was the single greatest major enemy of the Christian faith. He was the primary sanctioner of killing Christians during the early church movement. When you think about persecutions that are happening all over the world today, Paul would have been at the top of the food chain when it came to killing off Christians. And this guy, Paul, who was a Jesus hater, he is now advocating for Jesus to the point where we now have his writing in half of our New Testament in our Bibles here today. How does someone go from that to standing opposed to Jesus, his message, his ministry, his church, to now advocating for everything that has to do with Jesus? What happened? I'll tell you what happened. He encountered the risen Savior. He encountered the resurrected Christ. Look, the the evidence for this historic event is astounding and overwhelming. I could go on and on and give give you evidence for this and that, for the resurrection from this angle, so much so that even skeptics and and non-believing scholars have given uh, given space to say that there is adequate proof to consider that the resurrection could have indeed viably, very realistically happened. We can't refute that. There's too much evidence pointing to the fact that the resurrection actually took place. And so you see, we got to understand, our faith is not rooted in some make-believe myth or make-believe story. Our faith comes from an actual historical event that took place that carries with it massive implications for your life and mine today. And here's where I want to start landing the plane. I want us to revisit these two points that we talked about here and see why all of this matters so deeply to each of us on a personal level for each of us here this morning. 
we establish that if death is canceled, that means Jesus is who he says he is. And if that's the case, we have to wrestle with a very important question. And that is, who do I say that he is? If Jesus is who he says he is, and he's actually not lying, he's actually not off, he's not, he's not making it up. If he is who he says he is, we have to come to a place where we wrestle with the question, okay, who do I say that he is? Who do I believe Jesus to be? Right, like, in fact, that's precisely the question that Jesus was asking his disciples in Matthew 16. If you remember in that passage, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and he's like, hey, so what's the word on the street about me? Who do people say that I am? And some of the disciples chime in. They're like, well, you know, Jesus, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're, you're Elijah, and still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Jesus is like, hmm, all right. Now, who do you say that I am? You know, it's easy to talk about what other people are talking about. But it's much harder to come to a place of authenticity and honesty with our own hearts to ask the question, what do I really believe about Jesus? Who do I believe Jesus to be? This is essentially the question we need to grapple with. If Jesus says who he says he is, who do I say that he is? In, in other words, does my view of Jesus match his claim about himself? Do I really believe that he is the son of God? Do I really believe that he holds the keys to my future? Do I really believe that he washes away all of my sins? Do I believe that he gives me a brand new life, a brand new heart? Do I really believe that this Jesus fills me with his Holy Spirit? And you want to know why your answer to this question is paramount? Because your answer to this question will determine how you live your life from this day forward. Your understanding of who Jesus is will determine how you live your life. This will be one of the primary factors as to how your worldview is shaped. And so if you don't really believe that Jesus is who he claims to be, then you're going to live your life with that filter in view, as if this whole thing is just make-believe. But if you believe that Jesus is fully and completely everything that he says he is, then your life will take on a whole new form and meaning. C.S. Lewis, who I quoted earlier, was also known to say, Christianity, if false, is of no importance at all. But if it's true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it can't be is moderately important. It, it, can't, be, it can't be this thing that like, Christianity is just kind of out there. I'll deal with it when I got time. I got finals coming out. Let me deal with that first, and then I'll deal with my faith. Like Christianity is just kind of out there. Like it's, I'll just shelf it for now. And it's, you know, the, the notion behind that is like, no, no, no. If this is true... You better wrestle with this before you go to bed tonight. If Jesus is, if everything that Jesus claimed is true, and you want to know why this is, this is important? Because Jesus said some things that pertain to your life and your eternity and your present moment. If everything that Jesus said is true, I've got to wrestle with the question, do I believe him? What do I believe about the things that he has said? Jesus is clear on who he is. The resurrection has authenticated that. Now, but the question is, do you believe in who Jesus says he is? The se second thing is this, and, and 
I'll land it here. We said that if death is canceled, that means our faith is real. You want to know the truth about faith? You can believe something is real, but not give your life to it. You can believe something is real and still not give your life to it. You can have all the evidence in the world that the resurrection actually happened. I can provide for you a 50-page report that I know none of you will read, but I could, and it can lay out all the evidence in the world that the resurrection happened. You can be presented with all the facts, the historical evidence, and still yet arrive to a place where you choose not to believe in Jesus. Because crossing the line of faith, friends, was never about getting all the facts in place. Crossing the line of faith was never about having enough proof or evidence in order to believe. Now, maybe for some of us, that's the case. Maybe even a big part of how we have come to faith. But I'm telling you, for most of us, we didn't cross the line of faith because we had all the facts and proof lined up. We crossed the line of faith because we believe that choosing Jesus was far better than anything that this life had to offer. That's not evidence-based. That's not proof of the resurrection. We cross the line of faith because we encountered a God who loved us beyond measure, who loved us to unfathomable depths as we ponder upon the cross. We sang it earlier, at the cross, at the cross where your love ran red, where my sins are washed away. We encountered that God. We encountered that Jesus. And that love so filled my life and overwhelmed me that I couldn't help but bend my knee to the lordship of Jesus. We crossed the line of faith because we believed putting our, faith, putting our life in God's hands was a far better option than trying to govern our own lives. You see, the Christian faith, as real as it is, it has to come down to a point of personal surrender. It has to. Do I trust Jesus enough to put my faith in him? Do I believe in Jesus enough that I would put my faith in him where my faith would become real? And if you're here today and you've made that decision already, then you know how infinitely great and glorious that decision was. I often say giving my life over to Jesus was the best decision I've ever made. And then shortly after that, it was marrying my wife. You know, guys, find, you, find yourself a Jesus-loving bride, and you'll be happy. You'll, you'll know you made a good decision. But prior to that, giving my life over to Jesus. And for those of you, 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 you've been walking with Jesus sometime, you know this to be true. Giving your life over to Jesus is the best decision you can ever make. Now, if you're here today and you've never made that decision to surrender your life to the resurrected Christ, can I ask you just a friendly exhortation encouragement would you consider that today? Would you consider that? Do I trust Jesus enough to put my faith in him? I'm going to invite the worship team forward. They're going to close us out with this one final song here in just a moment. But as they do, I just, I'd love for us to just bow our heads in, in a moment of prayer.